Yes, I'd like to welcome you to radio show number six. And I always appreciate uh, every time that you join us either on YouTube. And I pray uh, to the Lord that this will be a blessing to Christians or might be used to draw non-Christians to himself. Uh, the topic of this show is why does God allow evil? And uh, if you have been listening to some of the Romans Bible studies we've been doing, we dealt with this a little bit when we went through um, Romans chapter 3. Uh, we kind of took a detour there and dealt with it probably for about 20 or 25 minutes, but I wanted to do a radio show on specifically this topic because it's one of those questions that comes up for everybody, especially when you become a Christian and you uh, begin to realize what God's like, you learn about his attributes, that he is all-powerful, that he is all-good, he is all-knowing, um, and he can do no wrong. And so you look around the world and you understand the, the rampant evil that exists in the world, and it's a question that comes up in your mind, not only in your mind as a Christian, but often unbelievers, non-Christians will challenge you, uh, be, will challenge the Christian faith saying, well, if your God is so good and he, and he is so powerful, then why does he allow the world to be like it is? And so we're going to deal with that question specifically today, and uh, we're going to take our time going through it, and we're going to kind of uh, re rebuke some, some common uh, theories on, on why God allows evil. And I'm going to try and, uh, obviously, every time I try and make it biblical. And uh, like I said, when we went went through Romans 3, when we, uh, we dealt with verse 5, it's one of those key verses that explains biblically why God allows evil. All right, so I'm just going to work through this sheet here I've prepared and uh, and kind of work through the thesis thesis uh, point at one point at a time. All right, first thing we come to is evil exists. I don't think that's anything anybody, uh, Christian or non-Christian, would debate. Um, you look around the world, and it's not only evil exists, but it dominates the world. I mean, there's crime in every city, in every town. There's wars and um, conflicts between nations. There's deceit everywhere. You can't trust much of what you even hear on the news anymore. And so you know, you understand just by looking around that evil exists and not only does it exist it's it's pretty widespread and again from the Christian perspective God exists as we have evil exists God exists God is all-powerful and all-knowing okay so that's our, our next statement there is that the God of the Bible the true and living God is all-powerful that he has power over everything and so um, and he's also all-knowing he doesn't nothing catches him by surprise and so when you understand that that if God is all-powerful and he's all-knowing, then he certainly could stop evil if he wanted to. If he has all the power, he could stop evil if he wanted to. And if he's all-knowing, he doesn't get caught off guard by any evil. It's not like he didn't see something coming goes, oops, sorry, I missed that one. God is all-knowing. He's never learned anything. He's always known the past, present, future perfectly and exhaustively and with every detail. So he's never caught off guard, never learned anything. And he is all-powerful. He has all the power over all creation all the time. There's nothing that he doesn't control. Okay. So our next point is God doesn't create, nor is he the author or approval prover of evil. Not only that, God cannot create sin, nor authorize or approve of it. 
but God does allow evil to exist. That is to say that God does not author or approve of sin. He doesn't, he, he doesn't create iniquity. And nor can he, the Bible is very clear, he can't even tempt anyone to sin. Um, nor does he approve of any sin. He doesn't approve of any sin that uh, happens. Um, and, he, and he, again, like I said, he's, it's impossible for him to sin. It's not like he won't sin. He can't sin. His nature is perfectly righteous and perfectly holy. And that's why the Bible says that he cannot lie. It's not like he won't lie to you. He's got the potential there. No, he cannot lie. He has absolutely no potential to sin or authorize sin or approve of sin. Okay, so we want to get that point out there. But again, God does allow evil to exist. Okay. God allowing to evil to exist is not a strong enough word because God chooses to allow it. He is not passive in his allowing evil. He could have chose not to allow it. Therefore, he wills it to exist. He ordains it. So my point here is that a lot of times when you hear about God, people talking about God allowing evil, it's almost in a passive sense. Like, oh, well, he just, yeah, he doesn't like evil. He doesn't create evil. He could stop it, but he's just allowing it as in a passive sense. Again, when you... Well, I started with God is all-powerful. You know he could stop it if he wanted to. Um, so, but, so he's not passive in the allowance of evil. He's not, again, he's not tempting. He's not creating iniquity in anybody's heart. He's, he's, he doesn't approve of anybody's sin. Yet, he chooses to allow it. And he could choose not to. God, If God wants every single act of sin, every evil in the world happens only because God chooses to allow it to exist. He doesn't have to. And we'll get to this a little bit later, I think. But but I can only imagine how much evil he has restrained. As bad as the world is, I imagine he has restrained so much evil that we don't know about because he just stops it. He stops evil all the time. I believe that absolutely. He restrains evil all the time. And not to kind of chase a rabbit here, but I do believe that in the end times, that last seven years, where everything breaks loose, and, and the Bible talks about uh, the man of lawlessness is not revealed until he who is holding back iniquity remove, is removed or restrained. I can't I don't know the exact words right now. Um, but I believe in the last seven years, the restraint is removed. And there is full-blown sin with no restraint from God. So my point now is that he restrains evil all the time. But the evil that does happen, he chooses to allow it to happen. And he's sovereign over that. So I know it's hard because the worst things that could happen, you know, the Holocaust, uh, child rapes, and child murders, and, and abortion, and all these wicked, evil things. Yeah, yeah, very clear. God does not approve or authorize those things, but yet he does choose to allow each and every act of evil to exist. Okay? So that's our next point. Not passive in it. And so he wills it to exist. Okay. Evil is not good, but the existence of evil is good, or it wouldn't exist. So in God's sight, evil is never good. There's never, not even the smallest sin of, of a white lie or stealing a piece of gum or anything that is, that is sin is ever good in God's sight, ever. Yet, the existence of evil is good, or it wouldn't exist. Everything God does is good, and Him... And what I'm talking about here, doing here, is that he's choosing to allow 
evil to exist. He's not just allowing it, he's choosing to allow it. He could have chosen not to allow it. Why? Because he has a, well, we'll get to that in a second, but if the fact that evil exists is good in his sight, or it wouldn't exist. So I hope I made that point there, that evil is not good, but the existence of it is good, or it wouldn't exist. In, God, in, in accordance to God. Okay, so God again is not capable of creating evil, but in the sense that in his sovereign power he could prevent it, but chooses to allow it to exist means he is responsible for its, for its existence. A lot of people, even Christians, mainly Christians, will probably say, whoa, you know, that, that, that last sentence there, that last statement of that God is responsible for the existence of evil really bothers a lot of people because it almost, they kind of in their mind, I guess, maybe think of what that's saying is that God is again authorizing or approving evil he's not yet he allows it and chooses to allow it and yes he is responsible for its existence if he didn't want it to exist it wouldn't exist and so in that sense God is certainly responsible for evil existing okay so that's what I'm trying to say there so again evil exists God exists God wills evil to exist why and here's the big question what we're going to deal with here is why does God allow will evil to exist? Why does he choose to allow evil to exist when he could choose not to allow evil to exist? And here's the question, here's the answer. Because he has a purpose for it. Okay, that's the main kind of conclusion of what I'm dealing with here and we're gonna keep going here and work through this. But that's the reason God chooses to allow evil to exist. Now. One theory that runs rampant in the Christian circles is that God God allows evil. Why does God allow evil? Well, because He chose to give give man free will, and God is more concerned with the will of uh, the free will of human beings than He is with His own will. Well, I, that sounds well. We'll work biblically through this here in a second, but I think if you understand, you should. Uh, I think that should knock you back a little bit as a Christian. Say, well, I don't think the God of the Bible that I read is is for one second more concerned with the will of the creature than he is with his own will. So no, I do not believe God chose to allow evil because he had to give uh, freedom, the free will to human beings to choose. That might be a side issue, a side effect, a symptom of, obviously the reason we have evil is because of free will. God doesn't cause anybody to sin, so there's a, free, there's a creaturely free will that is causing this iniquity. That's where sin comes from. But I just think biblically, um, God is not more concerned with the free will of the creature than he is in his own free will. That's not why he chose to allow evil. Okay, so what is that purpose? To demonstrate his glory. Everything that God does is to the praise of his glory. Every single thing that has happened from the beginning of creation all the way until the Lord wraps it up in the millennial kingdom onto, into the eternal state. It's for his glory. And so, so again, God exists, so again, evil exists, God exists, God wills evil to exist. Why? Because he has a purpose for it. What is that purpose? To demonstrate his glory, to put his glory on display. Okay. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, is God more glorious because of sin existing or less? And also, through all of eternity, will God receive more glory or less from his creatures because of the existence of evil? And that's all that really matters is the eternal glory of God. Everything this world and this universe is about is about the eternal glory of God. And that may shock some people, even Christians, to think that your salvation 
isn't about you. It's about the glory of God. It's about the glory of Christ. It's about God the Father giving His Son love gifts of redeemed human beings. And so it's all about the glory of God. Every last bit of it. Now we're benefactors of that in, in our salvation, the forgiveness of sins, eternal glory, and one day a glorified body with no pain and pure joy. We will be benefactors of that. And God will God does receive glory from that. But the, but the main purpose God does anything is for His own glory. And it has to be for His own glory. Okay. So we'll work through this a little bit more. What about God's nature or character is put on display by the existence of sin? Here are a few examples. Okay. And this will go biblically here. Uh, one, His righteousness. Could we really understand God's righteousness without unrighteousness? There's something to be gained from the contrast. And this is where we, we're working on Romans 3.5. Romans 3.5 says, But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, that word demonstrates means it's putting on display. And so our iniquity, our sin, demonstrates the righteousness of God. And so there's a contrast there. And so we, and if, we, and if he did make us in a hypothetical way, and I hate to even do hypotheticals because it's speculation, but if hypothetically he made human beings where they could not sin, then yes, we would not be able to understand his righteousness as we do now because we don't have that contrast of unrighteousness. But of course we do. And it didn't take long for that unrighteousness, unrighteousness to display itself in Adam first time he was given any rule he broke it and we fell with him all right so his righteousness is demonstrated put on display he's glorified in that by our unworthy by sin okay his love romans 5 8 but god demonstrates that word again demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners christ died for us could we understand how much jesus loved us without god allowing us to be sinners and do evil of course, redemption is about redeeming fallen sinners who willfully rebel against God by the acts of another person, Jesus Christ. His perfect life, his death on the cross, is imputed to the believer. And so there would be no need for salvation if there weren't sin. And we would end, of course, we're going to be praising the Lord Jesus Christ throughout all of eternity for our salvation. And, and we wouldn't be able to do, we wouldn't even need a Savior if there weren't sin. And so his love, his, and again, I, I, I pound this drum until I, my hands get sore, but uh, his love is demonstrated that he, God did not have to send his son to die for anybody. And when I'm dealing with election, I kind of work on this a little bit. That, that God's love is demonstrated in him, the fact that he sent his son to die for sinners. He could have left every last one of us down here in our sin and then judged us for our sin and that would have been perfectly just perfectly just he would not compromise his holiness one ounce if he would never have even sent his son okay but the fact that he did send his son to die for sinners even if it was just one that would have been merciful uh, and so and that flowed out of his love for human beings actually in a, in a more particular sense out of his specific love for the elect that he chose to save. But I'm not going to chase that rabbit right now. Okay, so his love is put on display. Three, his power and holiness, his holy wrath against sin. In Romans 9, 22, 
What if God, although willing to demonstrate, there's that word again, demonstrate his wrath, put on display, bring glory to himself, demonstrate his wrath, and to make his power known, endured with great patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. So you see there that God demonstrates his wrath, his holy wrath against sin. And if he didn't choose to allow evil to exist while never authorizing or approving of it, he would not be able to demonstrate his holy righteous wrath against sin. And that's why one of the tough things about biblical Christianity and the truth of what's going to happen is that there's going to be a lot of vast majority of human beings are going to be condemned to hell for their sin. And it's hard to understand from our perspective, from a fallen human being's perspective, how glorifying that will be to God to demonstrate his wrath against sin eventually but inevitably and finally um, because we deserve it ourselves. And so it's kind of hard to kind of work through that and get a good understanding of that but I absolutely do believe that God is, God is glorified in his wrath against sin and he will be finally and fully glorified in his wrath against sin at the white throne judgment where every single sin of people who are not saved by, by faith in Christ trusting in Christ alone they will be judged according to every single particular white sin, uh, white light, or I'm sorry, white uh, little sin all the way up to the worst sins. Well, there every last one of them will be judged, and that will bring glory to God. And it's hard to hard to grasp sometimes uh, that because again, I I know I deserve to be in hell as well and to be in that judgment, and so I I don't see any joy in that at all. But I, I do see how God will be. His, he will be glorified in, in his judgments. Alright, so God's holiness is best displayed in his wrath, his direct opposition to sin. Even more, his nature is offended by every sin. So in a sense, he has to endure evil. In fact, uh, well, I won't move on there real quick. Um, so, like we just talked about, his holiness is best displayed in his wrath against sin. Uh, but even more, every time somebody sins on this planet, and it includes Christians as well, it's an offense to God. And so he does. He, and you have to understand this, especially if you're a non-Christian out there. That every, one sin, one willful sin against God, and and He is no longer required not to keep you alive for one more breath, and He could judge you and throw you into hell immediately, immediately. Now it's hard for us to understand that, even as Christians, but. Especially, I know if you're an unbeliever, you're like, whoa, you know, you know, if I'm saying one, if I say one thing and it's not true, that's, God has the the right to throw me into hell for, yes, James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point is guilty of all. You're a lawbreaker. You're under the wrath of God right now as a sinner. And he could throw you into hell immediately, immediately. He could have thrown Adam into hell immediately when he sinned. Yet he offers grace, and that is what, of course, the gospel of God and the gospel of Christ is about, is about salvation. And so, but my point here is that every time he endures one of your sins, he's demonstrating his patience, his kindness, his goodness. It's put on display by him enduring your, your sin. And again, if you're an unbeliever, I, I pray that because the Bible's clear, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. It's not so you'll be like, oh, thank you, I'm, 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 God's enduring my sin, that's wonderful. No, it needs to knock you on your face so you realize your need for salvation. Because one day that kindness 
and that goodness and that patience and that long-suffering that God endures, He will not. There's a day He's set that He's going to wrap everything up. and It'll be too late. So if you are an unbeliever listening to this, look at your heart. How would you stand before a holy God? You wouldn't and you won't. and It'll be too late if you stay in your rebellion and, and resist the gospel and resist salvation that's found only in Christ, trusting in Christ alone. I chased a rabbit there, but that's always a good rabbit to chase, I think, to, to, to share the gospel. I do pray that a lot of people who are listening to this radio show are, are and if you're, if you're a believer and you feel like this will be a benefit to an unbeliever, uh, have, refer them to it. Just share it with them. Alright, and we kind of dealt with this a little bit also already, but we'll go on. Uh, point four is His mercy is put on display. Romans 9.23 And He did so to make known Again, there's that word make, it's make known, demonstrate, display. This is Romans 9.23 The riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy. And so it kind of it's, that's coming off of Romans 9.22 where He's talking about how He's, he's patiently enduring vessels of wrath. Okay, so he's, he's tolerating sinners in their rampant rebellion against him. Why? One of the other purposes is to put his mercy on display to us, believers. We, we can see, and the best way I know how to explain this is that, you know, you see an unbeliever acting in an unbelieving way, and, and you, first off, I realized that I used to act that way. And the only reason I don't act that way anymore is because God did something in my heart and gave me uh, and provided salvation through Jesus Christ for me. And so there is a thankfulness of my heart. And, and sometimes I, I can't stand being around people who, you know, are just rampantly using his name in vain, cursing, and talking about filthy things. I don't like to be around him there, but there's a certain level of um, thankfulness that I understand that his mercy upon me. That, that um, I think it should be a reminder to every Christian that you were once like that. That's why we should never have spiritual pride. That's why I preach election. That's why I preach the effective call and everything else. Because the only reason we're not like the not like unbelievers is because God worked in our hearts sovereignly and, and chose us and granted us salvation. Otherwise, we'd still be in our sin. So His mercy is certainly, He couldn't demonstrate His mercy if He didn't have sin to be merciful on. And I just I'm gonna keep repeating this doesn't because He never authorized nor approves of any sin. Yet it does demonstrate His mercy, kindness, goodness. Because even even not outside of salvation, of course, salvation, you know, that's the the main the main um, uh, way He demonstrates His mercy. But even to, like I said, to unbelievers, He's every time an unbeliever takes a breath, it's mercy, because they have rebelled against God, and the wages of sin is death. And it doesn't say the wages of sin is death someday. No, wages of sin is death immediately. So there's a merciful act of God in tolerating any unbeliever, even believers who sin, who fall backslide and sin. God, the Bible is very clear sometimes that He sometimes takes the lives of Christians because they are in rebellion against Him. And so He has absolutely no obligation for anybody on this planet, Christian or non-Christian, to take another breath because of sin. But that demonstrates His mercy. And that wouldn't be able to be demonstrated if it weren't for the existence of evil, sin. 
Alright, so some, uh, I think I dealt with a little bit, but I'll deal with it again. Some say that God allows evil because he had to give human beings free will. This would imply God values the will of people over his own will, which I find unlikely. Kind of dealt with that at the beginning. Yeah, just read a couple pages of the Bible. Just open anywhere and just read a couple pages. And, and you come away from that saying that, yeah, God's more concerned with the will of a human being or human beings than he has his own will. Yeah, you must have a different version of the Bible than I do because... The Bible talks about his will is done. He gets what he wants. He doesn't have to, he's not dependent upon the creature for anything. His his he's given free will. And I'm not saying that he hasn't given creaturely free will, but that free will is always under the sovereign control of his free will. And so my point is that he the purpose of him allowing evil is not because, well, I just had to give human beings free will, or this just wouldn't have been fair, or, or I wanted, and love wouldn't be legitimate if I had given free will. Now, those are all true statements in a sense, but it's not the purpose he chooses to allow evil. He's not more concerned with human beings' free will than his own. Okay, in summary, and I'm not quite done yet, but I'll go ahead and read this. Uh, in summary, the greatest good is always God's glory, and the ultimate reason he does everything. In fact, is God's glory could not be fully displayed without the existence of evil. So he doesn't create or approve evil, but chooses to allow its existence for now to put his glory on display. So I hope you see that um, that the purpose God puts does anything, including the, the first point I want you to really understand from this is that God chooses to allow evil. He's responsible for the existence of evil. And so, you know, I hear sometimes you hear pastors and TV show people who are, who are I mean, Christian oriented and they say, well, and when somebody has a traumatic experience, they say, well, God had nothing to do with this. Oh, man, that's just, first off, not true. That's, that's denying God's sovereignty. Um, and it's not comforting at all. If you thought God was out of control or not in complete control of, this, of the situation that is traumatic, I don't know how you could find hope in trusting God for anything including salvation, if he had nothing to do with this. Again, he, he never, he doesn't intend for any sin to happen, or evil to happen. Intend, as in authorize or approve it, but he does choose to allow anything to, uh, he chooses to allow anything that does happen. Which I think, I got about five or ten more minutes here, I, I would like to kind of, I think will help explain kind of correlates with this why does God allow evil I have a sheet here it's called God's two wills and I did this in one of the earlier uh, Bible studies it's on on one of these uh, I think it's in the uh, various topics playlist but you just scroll back and I think it's Israel God's or the wills of God um, so I dealt with that earlier but I want to do deal with that again quickly because uh, I think it will tie into this God's two wills. When we talk about God's will, I think a lot of confusion occurs because we fail to distinguish between what we mean by God's will. That is, God has God's will has two dimensions to it. First, He has an intended will, often called a prescriptive will, which refers to what God would want to happen in any particular situation. It is never God's intention for anyone to sin and break one of His commandments at any time for any reason. He never authors or approves of any sin. So you see where we're tying this into what we're dealing with today. God does not ever intend for anyone to sin. That's, that's his intent. I call it his intended will. Other people call it his prescriptive will, what he would want people to do. 
Um, we as Christians are to seek this aspect of God's will, what he would want us to do each day in every situation. So the first will of God that I've distinguished here is his intended will, what he wants us to do, his prescriptive will. Uh, this takes us to the second of God's wills, his ordained will, or often called his decreed will. And the Westminster, Westminster Confession of Faith puts it, God, from all eternity, did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. You see, God's ordained will is that which God allows to happen. So you see how we're dealing with this, why does God allow evil? And you see how I'm trying to separate him, his intended will. He doesn't offer or approve of sin, yet... Whatever comes to happen, whatever comes to pass, is His decreed will, and so uh, God's ordained will is that which everything that happens is God's will in the fact that it's His ordained will. Now, see, a lot of people would hear that and say, "Well, whatever happens, all the evil that happens is God's will." And they think that what that is saying is that that's what God wants, okay, in the form of what He intends people to do, as if He's approving of sinful, evil acts. No, that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about going back to what we were earlier talking about the uh, how he's responsible for the existence of evil because he chooses to allow it to exist. He wills it to exist, and this is what we're talking about here with the ordained will. Any anything that occurs only happens under under the authority of an omnipotent God. Obviously, our holy, sovereign God choose uh, allows sin and evil as part of His ordained will. He not only allows evil to exist but chooses to allow it to exist he could have chosen not to allow it therefore he wills evil to exist and this is what we've been dealing with clearly he's not the author nor approver of sin but chooses to allow it and he doesn't have to didn't have to because he has a purpose for it evil isn't ever good in the eyes of God but his existence is good or it wouldn't exist essentially everything that God does this includes, includes choosing to allow evil is for his glory one obvious example of this is, we'll, is we will be praising our Savior forever for what he did to redeem us in our sin and the penalty deserved. This would, not have been, this would have been impossible if God didn't allow us to commit sin and do evil. Our unrighteousness puts his on display, Romans 3, 5. We went through a lot of this. But Along with his love, mercy, kindness, and other glorious attributes, we would not know without the existence of evil. This would lead us in this uh, second part here. This would lead us into a discussion of what is known as the doctrine of concurrence. It means that God uses sinful, free will decisions of creatures for which they will be held responsible for to accomplish his good purposes. He sovereignly rules providentially. He doesn't tempt, author, or approve of these acts, but allows them for his good purposes. A good example of this is Job. Satan and the Chaldeans have evil purposes in their hearts when they attack Job. Satan to destroy, the Chaldeans to gain property, but God uses these wicked actions to accomplish a good purpose. To prove to Satan and to Job that Job has enduring faith regardless of his circumstances. And as Joseph would say in Genesis 50, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. So you see here how God has a good purpose. We talked about that in the very beginning. Why does God allow evil? Because he has a purpose for it. His purposes are good. The purposes of, but he uses free will and creaturely free will, decis evil decisions of sinful people to accomplish his good purposes. And again, it's it's not saying that these free will, creaturely decisions are 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 
approved of or authorized and they will be held accountable for them. Yet God uses them to carry out his good purposes. As um, well, I already read it. So as you can see, God doesn't want Satan or and people to ever willfully sin against him. Again, that's dealing with his intended will. Um, but chooses to allow it. He didn't have to. So you see the creaturely freedom, the free will, chooses to sin. Evil will be held accountable for. But God could have restrained every act that he doesn't restrain. Okay. But he does, he chooses to allow it, so he is responsible over that because he has a good purpose for it. And of course, the, the ultimate example of that is, is allowing the most evil act in the history of mankind was what the Jews and the Gen and the Romans did to Jesus Christ. He, he was perfectly innocent, never committed one sin, and was condemned to a absolute, well first they spit on him, they humiliated him, they ripped his clothes off, they beat him, and all of that was undeserved, evil, and he was condemned to death all for, for it was, none of that was just at all. Yet, God used that to provide redemption for his elect, for, for salvation for people. And so he takes the most evil act in the history of mankind and turns it into the greatest act for mankind in the sense that he provides salvation to anyone. I know I've talked a little bit about election and I haven't gone into specifics, but any, I'm just anybody out there, if, you, if you'll put your trust in Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. And so he, God took the worst actions of human beings and turned them into the greatest acts, to make salvation available to anyone who will put their trust in Christ. So if you're out there and you're an unbeliever, a couple things. You need to know that you're in trouble, because you are. You will one day face a holy God. And you're either going to be judged according to your works or according to Christ's works. And so salvation is available to you. You know, I talk about election and, and all these other wonderful, glorious doctrines, but that has nothing to do with the unbeliever. The unbeliever, what you need to know if you're an unbeliever, is that you can come to Christ. You, anybody who comes to Him will not be cast out. And you need to come to Christ, or else you will be judged according to your own works, and that will end in hell. And you will never get in. There's, I don't care what any false religion out there tells you. You won't be annihilated. You won't be given a second chance. It will be eternal. And it will be forever. And it will be just. There will be no appeals. There will be nobody arguing. Everybody at that point will know exactly what they deserve. And they will be getting what they deserve. So now, today's the day. Today's the day. So I'm, again, being a Calvinist and everything else, I can't, I can't encourage and and plead with people out there who are unbelievers to come to Christ because it's absolutely necessary or else, like I said, judgment will be coming your way. So I pray you would consider that and turn from your sins and turn to Jesus Christ. And there's another radio show that I just did, Radio Show 5 is on What Must I Do to Be Saved? So if you'd like more information on that uh, I refer you to that show. So I hope this has been beneficial to you. Um, but the, the primary goal of this was to, to uh, again, I'm always about God's sovereignty. And, and, and I, I, anytime somebody 
teaches a guy, even even a Christian teacher, inadvertently that, that teaches a doctrine that brings God's glory and His sovereignty down, and I just really go. It really bothers me because the God of the Bible, the true and living God, is in absolute, complete control of everything. And that's why you have to deal with this topic of, well, if he's in complete control of everything, why does he allow this rampant evil to exist? And um, and I think we've been through that, and I pray it's been a blessing to you. And the ultimate answer to that is he's got a good purpose for all the evil. And it's going to all, every last act of evil will eventually, in one way or the other, in, in his showing his mercy or his wrath, he will be glorified in that. He will be glorified in everything that he chose to allow to happen. But again doesn't mean the person, the people who are making these willful, rebellious, sinful acts against him will not be held accountable because you will. And one more last point before I close up here is when people ask me about why does your good, perfect God and all-powerful God allow evil, one of my primary responses that he, before I kind of go into the, what we've gone into about how he does it for his glory and everything else, I usually look at the person and say, and if you're a Christian and you're evangelizing, this is something maybe you can t you can use as well, is that I say, well, it's a good thing that he chooses to allow evil because he's allowing your evil to exist right now. That's the sinful acts, that person challenging you, God hasn't judged them yet. They're still breathing. They're able to ask you these questions. They're able to even mock you and, and do these things because God has not given them, given them immediately what they deserve, and that is his wrath. So I always kind of, not in a nasty way, in a gentle, kind way, I, you know, anybody who says, well, you know, if, if, if there's God and he's choosing to allow all this bad stuff to happen, they're always ignoring the bad stuff they do. They're, they're, they're ignoring their own iniquity and looking around the world as if they're perfectly righteous and everybody else is, is evil and all this evil around them. But they, oh, they're not that bad. So I always try to make a point, because you can make an evangelistic turn there pretty quickly by saying, hey, well, well, how about you? I mean, have you ever done anything evil? And they're, almost everybody will say they, they've done sin or they've made mistakes or whatever, they've done evil. But they just have suppressed it or have, they can justify it because they, they love their sin so much that they don't want to deal with it. So I think it can become an evangelistic thing if you just immediately uh, make the point that it's a good thing that God does choose to allow this rampant evil because otherwise if he judged everybody immediately right now according to his perfect holy standards everybody would be in trouble and so I think it can be something that can be turned into an evangelistic conversation in a gentle way I always I'm I listen to a lot of apologists and whatnot and there's Different people go about evangelism different ways, and you know, as long as Christ is being preached, I, I try not to complain. But some people really, I think, uh, have this judgmental attitude towards people, and um, and the Bible is very clear. As Christians, we are to share the gospel truthfully, unapologetically, unashamedly, not compromising it, stay, staying the truth about hell, truth about judgment. That we necessarily have to do that, but we never have to scream at people, and, and as if we deserve something other than what we're uh, the wrath that we're talking about. And so we need to be humble and gentle. And so I, I, a lot of people I listen to and I have a lot of respect for. I think sometimes they get they need to humble themselves quite a bit. And, and if you are evangelizing out there, and you should be as a Christian, we need to make sure we. There's never an excuse to be judgmental towards an unbeliever. 
You know, we don't endorse sin. We don't endorse lifestyles. We don't endorse homosexual marriage or anything that's going on out there. But we never, when we're evangelizing somebody, we don't we don't want to scream or have a judgmental attitude towards them or call them names or anything else. Because immediately when you have that attitude towards somebody, uh, they're going to immediately turn their ears off if you if you insult them or anything else. I mean, so if your intention is to get their attention, you do it through kindness and gentleness. Do something kind for them. No matter what lifestyle they're in, do something kind for them. That'll get their attention. That'll get them to listen to what you have to say. And then you can, without compromise, tell them the truth about their situation. And that's everybody's situation. We're in trouble. So that was just one final little grain of salt I want to top on there because I've been listening to a lot of this back and forth about, well, you need to do it this way or do it that way. And I see people that are bullhorns and, and screaming at people and and I've even run across people doing that. And I think they're genuine Christians for reaching the true gospel, but I just don't think anybody's ever going to listen to them if they're screaming names at them and calling them sinners, and, and they are. But if you're screaming at somebody with a bullhorn saying you're a sinner and you're, you're a sodomite or any all these other words they use, while may, they may be truthful of the situation, you're going to immediately shut off the heart of that person. And they're not going to have any, they're not going to listen to you. So you got to watch your tone and watch your... Make sure you're obeying not only Christ's command to share the gospel, but the way he commands it to be shared with his gentleness and respect in order that God might grant them repentance. So that was just one last little rabbit I chased. I pray you've been benefited by this. Again, there's lots of other videos, and if you're a Christian or, or and you have unbelieving friends or family, uh, refer them to the show. I try and be really direct and kind, and but... You're not going to find the true and living, the true gospel, out there in many places. Sadly, there are a lot of good places, and I'll probably do a show one day on um, on who I do recommend for ministries and teaching. And, and there's a lot of good, but there's a lot of bad. Obviously, we know that. Um, or there are places where you will not hear the true gospel. And so, if you have unbelieving friends, refer them to these shows, and they can listen to them in private. And and maybe the Lord will use them, use these shows to draw these people to himself. So thank you again. God bless. And until next time, may Christ be known.